0: Hey, um, this weekend has been a labor of a lot of love, and there have been some just incredible efforts and energies put in by people that aren't me to to hand you cupcakes and tell you stories and compile and celebrate the things that God has done. So can we just pause for a minute and, and like give it up for those people who... Do not want to be uh, probably called upon to come to the stage and make speeches or anything like that. But I just am really grateful. One of the benefits, if you have it, to go on sabbatical and return is that, like, I'm just taking all of this in right along with you uh, because I didn't plan the cupcakes and the like. I just, it's been really cool to be able to see and celebrate. Um, and and similarly to as has been said, to reflect upon. Um, just just you know like if you think about your your life in terms of decades you're like whoa like a lot happens in a decade right um and 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 similarly to as was stated in the video like you know there's a picture the night before our church launched of my family taken by some well-wishers that had come into town and like my kids are like sitting on my lap like and that, that dude, by the way, had no idea what he'd be spending the, the next years, 10 years doing. But like, just that smile on, on his face, right? Like, 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 that kid and those kids are like a decade older. Like, and, and this week, um, one of those kids got mail from colleges saying like, hey, you're ready for your next chapter? And this is just from Monday. From Monday, like this stack of competing visions of the life that is worth living. Right? Um, the high school senior is wrestling with all of the wonderful worlds that are saying, it's, it's the quaintness it's the of a quiet community. It's the bustle of the big city. It's the, it's the extensive programs and offerings we have. It's the fact that it doesn't cost a lot of money. And you can probably remember how like harrowing and overwhelming that process was. Um, and, and, and probably can remember like all of the different voices throwing out to you competing visions of where life was found. Like 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 you've got those voices your 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 senior year of high school going well it's this no it's this no it's this. You've got maybe parents or, or your church community going no no it's this and you're entering on some level some kind of point of decision to say what will I trust to actually begin to inform. At where, where I will define a picture of the good life, whatever the good life would be, right? And, and like the sad reality uh, to tell my high school senior is that you can get the essay done and you can get all the applications out and you can get your financial aid package and it actually won't solve the question for you. That you will beginning to, you'll continue to answer that question in your 20s. You'll, you'll answer it in your 30s. You'll answer it in your 40s. I've been told You'll be thinking about it in your 50s and your sixties and your seventies as well. Like you we will always be thinking and challenged by like differing, competing visions of what is a, a life worth living. What is a picture of success. And and this is true for churches too, right? As we reflect on 10 years, like what is the metric by which you would say, this is a good church? You know, like, is it programs? Is it offerings? Is it, is it the style of music? Is it the kinds of programs? I mean, what, I mean, these are things that we come to and we reflect on as a community together. And, and, and here's what I think is good to know when we feel that sense of overwhelm, right? Like, I, I, you know, I don't want to drop that on my high school senior, but, like, that's the reality. Like, she's going to spend the last rest of her life just with less formal mail coming all at one time thinking about this thing, and uh, so will you, and so will I, and this is not a new conversation. This is actually part of what it means to be very human, and so when we look back at the Bible, which is one of the things we do when we come into this room, and we study these scriptures together, um, we can often, if we we just think about our day-to-day life, we kind of go, well, there isn't always a lot of relevance for the thing I'm going through today. But I actually think the thing you're going through today, if it is in fact, what is a life worth living? What are, how do I wrestle with the competing visions of all of these things telling me this is where life is found? Well, well, then I actually think the scriptures and the tensions raised in Mark chapter 10 are quite relevant for you. Jesus has just for the third time in the gospel of Mark told a group of people walking with him, talking with him, saying basically, we'll follow you anywhere, hey... Let me tell you how this is going to end. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. Three days later, I'll rise again. Every time he says it, it doesn't land. It's like someone trying to force a joke a third time. Like, dude, it wasn't funny the first two times. It just does not resonate with the people who are hearing it what it is he's actually talking about. You, who may have some kind of peripheral engagement with Christianity, even if you've never explored the claims of Jesus for yourself, might know, oh, he's talking about three days after his murder and execution at the hands of the state, he's going to demonstrate to Rome and to the world that 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 can't keep him dead. Because you have some sort of sense of how the story ends, right? They do not. And so it does not land with them even though he's done it for the third time now, in fact, let me show you how much it doesn't land with them by what happens next. Okay? Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, Jesus has just said what I told you, and here's what the disciples do in response to this very vulnerable, open moment about how this kingdom and this definition of success is going to look. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. This is going to go well. Uh, (laughs) What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other of us sit in your left in glory. Verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, (laughs) they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. The high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to become first must be a slave of all, for all, of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So these dudes, after a moment of incredible vulnerability and the attempt at a teachable moment, Begin to jockey for position about, like, what's gonna happen when we take the next hill? What's gonna happen when we, we really stick it to Rome and we show them? What's gonna happen when we tell these Jewish leaders and these tax collectors and all these officials? Like, they just don't get it. And who's gonna play a role? Like, who gets to be who in all of this thing? What a mess right? Like it's easy for us to look at that with some sense of, of, of like just collective eye roll at the that the nonsense here. And, and what Jesus is so gracious in doing in this, uh, Jesus is doing what I would not do. And by the way, I think this is one of those moments where I can point to why I think the scriptures are a reliable like reflection of like the things that happen. Because if I, I, I just, I'll speak from my own part i would i would probably go back to the author of mark and be like can we not talk about the time i did this can we not talk about the time that i said something really stupid because i just didn't understand in full just a moment that i kind of point to to go ah, you know that makes me trust it just a little bit more but at any rate like that d- d- beside the point like the, the 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 thing i think is interesting here is that you have these competing visions and jesus is matching it with a great deal of grace and patience that i would not have for these guys To say, listen, you have pictures in your mind of success. You have pictures of life, of the good life. You have absorbed and internalized, you know, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. Pictures of the good life. And I'm here to tell you that, like, we're not going to do the kingdom the way the Gentiles do the kingdom. We are doing something different here. We're ushering something different here. And that's going to call to light and bring to light some really uncomfortable confrontations with yourself. Because whoever wants to be great needs to become a servant. What we've come to do, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. The the way we're going to live, the way we're going to pour ourselves out, has the capacity in a way that these government officials and these other pictures of success you have around you cannot to free people from the spiritual and emotional and relational and physical captivity that they live in. We're going to live that way. And, And it lands for them probably like it lands for us, right? It lands, doesn't it, like a high school graduation speech? As something that's just like aspirational. Like when, when, that, when that young idealistic person gets up to the microphone and says something about how we can change the world if we all work together. You're like, hey, yeah, you don't know what the mortgage rates are though. Son. <laughs> and young lady, have you seen the price of groceries? Like, and do you know how impractical like, that particular solution you're espousing is? Oh, that's cute. That's cute. But you're, yeah, you're right. It's better to serve. It's better to serve than to not. That's kind of what we do with this, right? Because if we're honest, we really want a life where we, we are served and then out of our own like autonomy and agency, like, yeah, I guess we should give back. We, like We're all going to kind of want to be a Rockefeller, right? Like, yeah, we could set some foundations and whatever in our name afterwards. Mm, it'd be good. Right? What, what is called into collision for us and for the disciples are these competing pictures that are, that are running in our head, that are running in our heart, that are being thrown out to us all the time of where life is found. And Jesus is saying, no, it's actually found right here. And, and some of the tension that we see happen is, is, is a result of just bringing this into light. I mean, this, this conversation creates tension, doesn't it? Because it forces us to acknowledge that we actually Feel the way the disciples feel. I mean, the disciples, the other ten get indignant. And I think a first reading of the text, you might go, that's because they're mad at James and John for, for saying such a thing. Like, I mean, and they might be doing their own version of that kind of like, oh, who will think of the children? Right? But what I think is actually happening is that they're kind of ticked off that like, someone else is trying to get theirs. When they're trying to get theirs privately as well. like They've said the quiet part out loud. Which is this community that espouses to want to follow Jesus to the end. Has got fractures and fragments of people sort of going. Yeah but I am more or less just kind of projecting my own picture of success. Into what we're doing as this collective fellowship of disciples. Right? So you can see amongst that early brain trust, just the the fracture that, that we probably feel in our own world, which is to say, like, okay, Scott, I'll live that way, but, like, no one else around me is living that way. Oh, and I'll think of church that way, but what good does it do if no one else around me thinks about church that way? Like, so great, slap it on coffee cups, but you can't live this way. And this is the tension that Jesus is inviting us to unfold right this this is the picture that jesus is giving to us so so there, my i had a friend who got interviewed for a, a publication of, of national renown like is known nationally and i tell you that just so that you don't think i'm going to tell you a story about you know like that starts with like well there's this guy who was starting a podcast that reached out to my friend and it's just a weird thing that my guy who's starting a podcast reaching out to my friend does this is a national publication that reached out to a friend and said hey we want to do an interview about the state. Of mental health amongst pastors in the COVID-19 pandemic and you're doing some good work in that and he said sure that's good because the state of mental health amongst pastors is not great and so he he did this you know interview with this particular organization and in the setting up of the interview they had some very explicit instructions about how they were going to collect it so it's still the COVID era so they they weren't coming to him it was going to be on zoom recorded on zoom and they were like but here's the deal no cameras there's no cameras here. Like, we're not going to do cameras. We're going we're gonna to record it, but there's no cameras. Now, I don't know how many Zoom calls you've been on the past three years, but I know even out of my own mouth I was giving the opposite advice as some kind of sound wisdom, right? That I was, that I was doing the Zoom calls where I'm like, hey, can we put our cameras on? So we know, just so everyone's engaged. I just want to see everyone's faces. Right? I was saying things like that. I was told that that was the thing in leadership you were supposed to do. And here's what they were finding. They were like, no cameras. And he's like, why? That's... The opposite of the thing I'm being told to do by my employers, by my donors, by the people. And they said, well, we're, what we're finding is, is that with our cameras on, we tend to look at our own foreheads and features and start to begin to pontificate about whether or not our earlobes are the same size. And, and then we're also spending some time looking at what's happening in the background somewhere else and like, oh, they have a book on their shelf. I don't like that. I didn't like that book. That's a weird book. Why would you have that book in your shelf? Would, how, what kind of person has a book like that on their shelf? Right? And, oh, they wrote something down. What, what, did, what did I say? That, that, that basically all of this like focus, this camera focus, this side-to-side obsession, like this posturing and this comparison robs the interviewer and the interviewee of the transparency of a real conversation rooted in flourishing. And I actually think that's what's happening here. Like with the way of Jesus is communicated but what it's exposed here is all of the shoulder-to-shoulder ways like these guys have not yet figured out that that, that what Jesus is inviting them to is something better and more beautiful even in how they view each other right because because we don't like to think that we commoditize people but we frequently do right like that's a person that does and you know like I, I don't care where my clothes come from I just want them cheap and I don't want you know like just or or we might just say I don't want to think about it. Because it's easier. It's easier to do that than to actually slow down and to rest and confront how the way of Jesus disrupts all of the competing versions and visions of success that are floating around in our heads and our hearts. That are being sold to us as the way. And so Jesus, again, like, gives us a moment to, to sort of think about it, right? And it exposes something. But, but then what Jesus is, is so gracious in doing here in this moment is, is later in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, giving them a picture. Giving them not just a sermon, but giving them a picture of, of what this kind of love and what this kind of life actually looks like. Um, in the first century world, this is, this is not computer relate in our place, you know, where, where, where roads are not paved and closed-toed shoes are not so much a thing. Like, your feet get pretty nasty, right? You walk along and you're going from point A to point B, like, you, you, get, some, you get some gunk on your feet. But then you, you come into a room where we're like, we're going to recline and have a meal together. That's a lot of feet that's that's right like so so even the first century world's like that's a lot of feet we're gonna do something about this and one of the things they do about that is have a basin of water and a towel and usually some kind of person at the door of the lowest social standing available to take care and address that problem it is not something that like the rabbi of the house or the wise sage or the patriarch is supposed to do and yet After giving these, you know, sort of this this treatise on like, hey, you think that you understand this, but we've got some competing visions here. Like your head and your heart are in collision about what a picture of life and success look like. So let me give you another picture. So as they enter the room for the Passover meal, Jesus does something that's not conventional for a guy like him to do. And it's probably pretty awkward for them, to be honest. He's got a basin and a towel, and he's the one washing the feet of those people. Including the people that are going to betray him and turn him over just like he said. Someone in this group named Peter hates this idea and is uncomfortable with it as you might be uncomfortable with it. And it's not because he hates feet. It's because, like, it's a collision with the idea that he actually needs this kind of cleansing. That he actually needs to have this picture of self-giving love reframed for him. John chapter 13 verse 1 says that the reason for this that's going to happen, the thing I'm describing to you, this is described before it happens, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end if we're honest, I, I think we feel this tension of like, okay Jesus, this picture of success you're giving us is like, kind of feels like you're holding out on us, particularly when the world doesn't care and is doing whatever it wants. Like, just feels like survival should be the thing. But like, this, the, the conversation that Jesus is trying to usher in, the picture that Jesus is trying to give, is rooted in the idea that Jesus loves them till the end. Loves them in a way that That many human relationships cannot even if they're well attended. loves in a way that even the most well-intentioned church doesn't always get right. Loves them in a way that money certainly falls short of. Loves them in a way that like our our relationship to our own health and building our best life often betrays us. To, To be able to to love them till the end Jesus is trying in this moment to, to challenge and cleanse, not just physically, but, but, but in, their, in their head and in their hearts, this picture of the good life, right? This, these, these competing virtues that say, you know, does the world exist to serve you or do you see your existence as a way to see the world around you, to serve the world around you, right? Right. Um, to really pay attention to what it is we're serving. There's, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal that's sparked all kinds of conversation. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, actually not an article, it's a, it's a research. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, a poll, or whatever of like the changing values of Americans and like one of the things that we sort of see being reflected in in this particular study is that trust in institutions and trust in country and trust in kids and community which would have been probably circa the past 50 years some of the things we would say like that's a nice life that our modern versions are like nah that's not it that's not it And, by the way, I don't have any skin in the game about those four things, like, really being the thing for you. Just wanted to show you, like, they've dove, dove down. But you see what went up? Money. Now, that's weird. What does it point to? Probably the way in which we can buy and build our best life. And you've, you certainly have felt, in the past year, the ways that falls short. And doesn't deliver what it promises. But what may be challenging for you today is just to to allow the way of Jesus to disrupt your definitions of safety and security. Miroslav Volf, uh, brilliant thinker, brilliant writer, author, who has lived in many places, has seen many different kinds of things. I would commend you to, to look him up and his, his sort of resume of sorts and the life that he's lived. He teaches a course at Yale University um, called The Life Worth Living. And, and one of the things he does in this class, he's a Christ follower, but he thinks there's a really great value in studying the truth claims of, of world religions, but to look also at how those truth claims like enter different spaces in history, Right? And so he offered recently on a podcast um, a, a reflection on modernity. He refl- he, and he offered this reflection on modernity, not speaking to a particular religion or people group or any of that, but just reflecting on our modern, like, collision with convenience and ourselves. And he says, he says modern humans are like painters so obsessed over the tools for their art that they never start to paint. Modern humans are like painters so obsessed over the tools for their art that they never start to paint. Like they spend their life like looking for the right and fullest amount of information. Find the YouTube videos, find the thinkers, find the influencers. uh, The right amount of money and the right house to do those things and the right car to do those things with. And like we've spent so much time obsessing over the tools to build that best life that most of us never start painting. Most of us never start painting. That's his reflection on modernity. And I think, I think that lands for me more than I really want it to. Like the scarcity thinking that I often enter my, my day with. Yeah, but I don't have this, and I don't have this, and the, the people whose successes have that, and I don't have that. And the invitation of Jesus is to, to let this picture of love, self-giving love, wash over and confront the lesser stories we settle for. So that we don't spend a life worshiping the tools when we were invited to live out a great story. To also reflect on the way that the, that the reality of, of, of what Jesus is inviting us to, I just think it's worth noting here that I've mentioned, and this may, maybe you caught this, that I've mentioned Peter, James, and John as disciples by name, okay? And I just wanna say something to those of us who maybe. If, if you live, like, in my head, like, the shame spiral of, like, well, I should do better than this. Why? You're right. There should be. The, the three people in the ministry of Jesus that were the closest with Jesus on his journey walking and talking with Jesus at this point are the three people who, by name, in these two texts that I'm holding in front of you, are, like, confronted with these opportunities to receive the grace and mercy of what Jesus is offering. and And I, and I just... I think if you are like me and you tend to just be really discouraged when, it, when you don't just get it all right the first time, or, man, I've been following Jesus for a number of years, and why do I still think those things? And why do I still pursue that stuff? And why do I still care so much about what that person thinks? You're in pretty good company. You're in pretty good company. Jesus continues to walk with them and give them this picture. But then he also challenges them to think that this is about this way of love being how transformation is going to come into the world. Right? The way most of us, you know, like, well, you know, what he says in verse, I'm sorry, verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 13 of John 13. Is he, after washing their feet, including Peter, who's like not down with it, you're never going to wash my feet. Um... Then says, "Okay, wash all of me. If that's what it means to be part of your kingdom," he says. This he says in verse thirteen. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now, it, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you as an example that you should do everything as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you memorize them. Not if you're blessed if you just crack the code in your introspective space and time. But, but if you begin to put these things into practice. Now I don't want you to hear that like, this is an invitation to never take a day off or never to, to treat yourself or to never do something you know kind for your family because you just got to be pouring yourself out for everyone else all the time. That's, I reject the premise that that's what I'm saying to you. <laughs> But what I'm inviting you to and what Jesus I think is inviting you to is to, to, to move past like the grandiosity of like these massive acts are what God is calling me to do. And to, to, to come back to the small beginnings of we are very fragile vessels trying in, with, with sometimes good intentions, sometimes not, to, to bring some intention to like actually living out this way of life. Right to try to wake up tomorrow and go to a coffee shop and go, okay, this this is how I'm gonna live, and in light of how I've been loved by God, to go on Zoom calls, camera on or camera off, and go, hey, this is how I'm gonna live. I'm gonna serve people or think about people, even if everyone else around me is just doing their own thing and getting theirs. Uh, Jane Jane Jacobs writes in the uh, the death of the death and life of great American cities. Uh, extensively about like in the 1960s when that book came out, like in this obsession with like burn it all down, pave it all down and put up expressways. Her fear and the advocacy work she was doing is that we would miss the little collisions uh, that the barber shop and the grocery store and, you know, the, well, if I make it modern, the self-checkout line, you know, those those things that, that get created um, that the impact that we have for other people and the impact other people have on us. Like she's saying, hey, if we just if we just pave it all down and focus on building our best lives, we actually lose one of the ways we grow and one of the ways we help others the most. And I, and I think for all, I mean, I don't re- redeem everything in the book or receive everything in the book is like it's this is the way to live. But I think that's an important thing for us to consider. That, that when we live with great intention to, to do as Jesus called us to do. To, to take this thing that we've received from Jesus and extend it. Things that we would never script or expect begin to happen. And, and you have an impact on people that you never probably even understand. <laughs> you know, you, you won't even get a glimpse of like what that text meant to someone. Or what that tip meant to someone. Or what that thank you meant to someone. Or what that eye contact meant to somebody what it sparked in someone's story but then I think it's important for us to also think about this as a church right to to on our 10th birthday I think in the obsession with um, convenience and expedience and bigger and better and up until the right to remember that some of the best work that God is going to do in and through the city over the next 10 years is not going to come when from this stage we concoct poodle's jumping through hoops of fire, which is a phrase I've used for 10 years. Maybe I need to retire it today. It's probably time. Um, not through like, oh, look look at all the excitement on the stage. But when you and I take the things we're wrestling with together in this room, remembering that we're not alone, and we try to move from being the Mark 10 community that's like pointing fingers and posturing and going whoop, What gives that guy the right to think that thing? And to move to more of a John 13 community, which is like, how do we wash one another's feet? And how do we wash the feet of the world around us when there's so much nonsense out there? That that picture, that John 13 community, is where transformation happens. Close with the story, then we'll move to communion. I did a tour this summer, a walking tour of the Great Baltimore Fire of 1904. Uh, it was a Sunday morning, I got to go over to um, the, the, what is now like kind of the Royal, it's not Royal Farms Arena anymore, it's the CFG Bank Arena. I got to go to the CFG Bank Arena, which is kind of like the, 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 kind of the ground zero of like the area where the Great Baltimore Fire of 1904 started. Um, if you don't know, it was a really devastating thing for the city, as you can imagine, but miraculously, no lives were lost. But, but from a business and societal impact, tremendously traumatizing to the city of Baltimore we get to this one particular part in the walk where the historian is giving us reasons why it was so bad and why it was so hard to put out this fire, and they're rattling him off. They're rattling off, like, the, the power lines and the way the cities were just... It made it really difficult for, for people who are first responders to get up in there. Talk about the fire hydrants and the systems that, like, D.C. and neighboring jurisdictions bring their hoses in, but their hoses don't hook to our hoses in the city of Baltimore, which was a whole thing that's not... I know we love to, like... Say that Baltimore does terrible things, but like that was a national problem at that time. It wasn't a Baltimore thing. Lest we like pile on Baltimore, you know. Like it was a national problem. And then, but then she said this, and I, I like I think everyone else just kind of kept nodding their head, and it hit me. She was like, one of the things that made the problem a lot worse is that the people were coming out of church and they got in the way of people actually doing the r- work of response. That all these people like walked out of their church service and heard their songs and sermons and went, oh awful now to be fair right their livelihoods their jobs were likely in flames their businesses were likely in flames and yet like this freeze up and stand and watch while everyone else is sort of running around like that it it slowed down the ability to put out a fire is like as a pastor like I couldn't unhear it I couldn't unhear it and I'm like No one else is shook by that? (laughs) No one else was shook by that. They were all, yeah, church people. Hmm, Church people, what can you do? (sighs) There's a litany of things around us, around the world, that are metaphorically or literally, right? (laughs) Right? hurting and being harmed and may we not be a church that's just so like that doesn't connect that the things we do in this room are intended for us to like step out of this room and and play a role and I'm not saying everyone needed to become an armchair firefighter there but right even to know like my job in this moment is to get out of the way would have been a start right I just want to offer to us, like, as a posture, like, I don't know what the next 10 years hold. I don't, I'm, I'm sure that there's programs that worked in the last season that we're going to get to this season and go like, I don't know, i got to change things up. But what I hope does not mark our our community is, is that in the face of terrible and hard and challenging things going on around us, you will not pop. Like... Um, Is that we would not just like be locked in like whatever was the sermon about like you know oh it was a nice sermon like that we that we would not be moved to like step out of our room and live into these things that we're talking about and and if we can get one thing right as a church maybe the programs are going to come and go but that is a posture I think is an invitation for us to receive now now listen like and this is what we got to come back to and this is where we're going to move now as we consider communion together. is is that the way that we get there isn't by you hearing some message that's like, okay, people, knock it off. Try harder. Can you stop it? Here's what we need to acknowledge. We have all kinds of competing pictures of success that we're wrestling with. And we come into this room to receive from Jesus an invitation to be reminded that it's the proximity and presence of Jesus entering our story pouring himself out on our behalf and and actually being powerful enough to deliver on the things that he promises that's what we're wrestling with in this space today the invitation is to receive that from Jesus as a fuel to be able to extend that to anybody in or outside of this room and to remember that if you're wrestling and you're struggling with doubt and you're frustrated and you're You're struggling. You're not alone in that pursuit. There's four stations in the room and it's just an invitation for us to to just kind of reset and bring before Jesus these competing pictures in our head and our heart. These these competing postures that say this is where life is found. I want to invite you at this time after I pray to to receive bread and receive cup and come back to your seat and, and just To create some space to think about the collision of worlds that, that marks this past week and how Jesus may want to refresh you, give you space to wrestle, or even some space to remember the invitation that's before you. Let's pray together. God, as we as we think about the good things. That have happened in the past 10 years as we think about the way your, your love ex- extends to us it, it sort of can become white noise in the burdens and the pressures that we feel for this giving week so God we invite you to this space and time just to encourage to challenge and to remind us both individually and collectively of of where we will find uh, sufficient grace to walk with us in the craziness of of living and on in, in this in this world and space and thanks that when we do that we're not doing it alone and thanks for this reminder and communion both with you and with each other in the name of Jesus we pray